Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Growing and repairing limbs is possible thanks to advancement in medical science, but difficult. Now, implants need to do a lot of things. They need to survive high force, high strength. They also need to be accepted by the body, not rejected, and still give you all of the things you need whilst not allowing bacteria to grow and infect your body. How can we make better implant bones and how can we grow some of the difficult areas in your body, like say, the throat? One of the miracles of modern medicine is insertion of artificial joints. Implants, such as knee or hip replacements, enable people to have a, a large range and increase in their mobility after a injury, damage through sporting event, or even just old age. These kind of implants are a real quality of life boost for people because they can get rid, eliminate pain just from having an old hip. But they come with a lot of challenges. Now, these kind of implants rely interfacing with an existing old joint, and material scientists, in particular biomaterial scientists, work really hard to design implants that can mate successfully with the body, and not only not cause other issues on the other side of that particular joint, but also get accepted by the body itself. This kind of rejection of a implant is a real serious issue, and implants can also lead to sources of infection or other issues around that after the implant goes in. So researchers are always looking for new ways to make that interface healthy, strong, and accepted by the body. Now, one type of research that can be used to this is to use bioactive materials. These can have a thin, fibrous interface with tissue around it. They're designed to work with and adapt to biological environments, cellular and tissue. And this is in stark contrast to something that's like bio-inert, for example, titanium or aluminium oxide. Now, whilst these are super strong, they don't actually react well at all with the things around it. In some ways, this is good because it means you don't have growth forming on it. In other ways, this is bad because it can mean that it will have more difficulty adapting to its new environment and home. So traditionally, metals used in ceramics and even polymer implants can have either zero of their bioinert or limited bioactive properties, which means that healing can be longer and there could be a high risk of rejection of the body of this new implant that's been shoved into it. For all intents and purposes, the body thinks it's an alien thing and doesn't really accept its presence there. So the new kind of materials that biomaterial researchers are working on here are designed to help foster growth around and healing around that new joint that has been inserted. Now, some research from INRS by PhD student Imran Dean and Professor Frederico Rossi has been recently published in the Journal of Colloid and Interface Science, which goes into great detail about a new method for laying down not one, not two, but three different bioactive materials at once onto a potential implant and the benefits that they can bring. Now, these researchers are using three different bioactive materials in their new method. The first is chitosane, which is found in crushed up shrimp shells. And the reason why it's useful to add into an implant is it's got antimicrobial properties. That's really important for cutting down on infections around the implant. It's all well and good if the body accepts this implant, but it's no good if then you have an infection around the source of this implant. Now, you can also then add on top of this collagen, which is something that you'll find as an organic component of bone, which is important facilitating cell migration, movement around, and also growth. 
You need these things because you want growth around the implant so that it can healthily mate itself into its new location. Then on top of that, they've added copper doped phosphate. Now this kind of glass stimulates blood vessel formation around and on the bone and implant itself, enabling the bone to reconstruct itself and meld itself in to its new location. Now, these three types of coatings are not new, they're all just interesting and been used by material researchers to try and improve implants for a while. But putting them together in a new way is what this paper is about. The method that they use to stick these to the implant is a method called electrophoteric deposition. This makes a thin layer of coating, but to do this, the implant itself acts as an electrode. So then the bioactive materials are attracted to this electrode and then settle and form a thin layer deposited layer on the surface of this electrode. Now, this is interesting because this method doesn't damage the structure or properties of the bioactive materials themselves. It's not like you're shooting the biomaterials out of a cannon and trying to make it hit the bone and land on there. Nor are you melting it and putting it down, printing it, for example, on the surface. You're rather relying on electrostatic attraction to bring it down and mate it all over the coating layer, effectively, of the implant. The good part about that is it means that you can use it without having any kind of special temperature or pressure or complex geometry requirement. For example, if you were trying to coat it another way, maybe vacuum suction wrap it or some other method, you'll need high pressures, different temperatures, and then if you're trying to put it on a really strange hip bone, well, that is difficult to actually get some equipment that can fit around. So having a process that can be more universal and not require large amounts of any equipment to do it, that's always beneficial. Now, the other interesting part about this is that you can adapt this coding method, electrophoteric deposition, to not just apply to the three bioactive materials that they tried here, but you could tailor which thing you're trying to attract, which bioactive material, for example. So you could use it to apply a hydrophilic and antimicrobial coating to certain areas, or maybe you want to boost bone surface reconstruction, or coatings that are even inert biologically or chemically. This means that you could use them in different ways across the same object, do the same coating method at different times to give the implant different coatings where it needs it most. To apply it not just to say a bone implant, you could use it for maybe stents, coronary or venous stents, where you want to try and prevent bacteria buildup or biological infections in these instances. They're not doing anything strength related, so you want to give it this antimicrobial coating on the stent in, say, a heart. So that would be a really useful place to give it an extra boost. Now, this was all a proof of concept applying a coating, lots of different coatings, to an implant. The next step is to actually validate this and see how well it works in clinical applications. And that's what the research is now turning to next. But it's an interesting idea of using different and new coating methods to really boost the way our implants are designed and the ways that they can help us in more ways than one. Not just fix the immediate need, but also really help make themselves at home melding into the body around them. The author on this paper was Imran Din, and it was published in the Journal of Colloid and Interface Science. about hip replacements and knees. These are things that you can conceptualize being as incredibly important. 
They do a lot of hard work. They run up and down stairs. They just get up out of bed. Your elbow, for example, is doing a lot of things when you may not even realize it until you knock it on something and hit your funny bone. Now, these joints are easy to visualize how you could repair and replace them, as we talked about earlier. But other parts of your body have really important roles that are harder to conceptualize the sheer amount of force that they're exposed to. An interesting example of that is, of course, the extreme biomechanics that are subjected to a part of your body that you will perhaps use a lot every day. Now, this is, of course, your vocal cords. Now, if you're a singer, you'll be really familiar with keeping your vocal cords healthy, exercised, stretched, just like any other muscle in your body. And if you're a runner, you, of course, could have a serious leg injury that could put you out and make you miss a season if you're a sports player. But the vocal cords are also subjected to extreme amounts of force in the same way any other muscle in a performing athlete is. In the same way as an ACL injury can really hurt an athlete, but also really hurt a regular person, so it could damage to your vocal cord. Now, the vocal folds vibrate. This is what helps us produce pitch sound. Now, if they vibrate really slowly, around 60 vibrations per second, this produces an audibly low pitch. 60 also hertz. And they go up from there. Now, people who have a really high voice or children can reach the extremely, extremely high pitches around that 1,000 hertz range. But in average, everyday conversations, men's vocal cords around the 115 hertz and range between 90 and 500. Women around 150 to 1,000 hertz with an average around 200, so a little bit higher. These are the frequencies that these cords are vibrating, producing the sound like I'm doing right now. Now, they vibrate faster and they're pulled longer and thinner and more taut, which means that you have the corothyroid muscles pulling cartilage down on like a hinge joint and stretching it out taut to produce the tension you need to be able to really vibrate fast. If you have vocal cords that are shorter, thicker, and floppier, well, then they'll vibrate more slowly. You can contract other muscles to do this. The reason why I'm talking about all the way in which we have to bend and stretch all these muscles inside of you to produce sound it goes to show how complex the area in your throat is, in your larynx, and how difficult it is to, say, repair this. And that's what exactly what researchers from McGill University have been investigating, trying to develop new biomaterials that can aid the repair of damaged vocal cords. Now, this research was published in the journal Advanced Science. Lead author was Sare Tahiri, along with Gang Yubao, Jixing He, Sepedi Mohamedi, Hossein Ravask, Larry Lassad, Zhang Yu Li, and Luc Mongao. Now, as PhD candidate from McGill, Gang Yubao, an author of this paper, mentioned, people recovering from heart damage often face a long and tricky journey. Healing is challenging because of the constant movement of tissues must withstand as the heart beats. The same is true for vocal cords. And up till now, there was no injectable material strong enough for the job. And this is really getting to the heart of the matter. The forces present and the range of forces and extreme stress required on your vocal cords means that having something that can repair and heal it is incredibly difficult. It's got to be soft and flexible, but yet taut and strong. This is an extreme set of circumstances like that you find in the heart, a huge range of motion and an incredibly important job. So how can you develop a material that is suitable for this environment? Well, that's where researchers like Professor Luke Mongao and Assistant Professor Zhang Yu Li were working in. 
they've been working on hydrogels. Now, a hydrogel is a type of biomaterial that is aqueous and gives room for cells to not just live, but also to grow. You can imagine this is some kind of gel in which you can have all the precursors needed to form new growth and stable structures. Then you can apply or inject it into the body and inside this gel, the biomaterial forms a stable, porous structures that allows live cells to grow and then also pass through it and out to say, go out and repair the injured organs or interface with and help build a mesh that can help promote growth of new structures, thus aiding the repair. So this kind of hydrogels developed in this lab at McGill are really useful because that they can be applied to all kinds of unusual places that would otherwise be more difficult for a traditional, say, implant. And the goal of the researchers is to try and develop exactly that, an implant that can be used to restore the voice with people who have damaged vocal cords. An example of this is people suffering from laryngeal cancer. Now, they have had extreme damage occur to their vocal cords. And this kind of work could help repair people with that damage to their records to enable them to speak normally again. Still in early stages, but that's the end goal of research like this. Develop a hydrogel that could be applied in the extreme conditions of the vocal cords to help people who cannot otherwise easily speak. Now, to test the durability of the hydrogel that they've developed, to see if it could handle the extreme forces present in the vocal cords, they had to, of course, build a simulation of the biomechanics of a throat. That is insane to think about because they had to make something that could vibrate 120 times a second for over 6 million cycles. And when they did this, surprisingly, the hydrogel remained intact. Now, every other hydrogel they tried to apply into that just fractured, ruptured into pieces, unable to deal with the stress, the frequency, and the load of which it applied over. And this goes to show just how extreme it is. It's like getting a shaking machine and then basically seeing how long everything shakes before it falls apart. All the other hydrogels faded away, but this specific hydrogel had a strength enough to withstand the extreme forces. Now that means it could work if applied to a throat. The important part there is they developed a hydrogel that can carry with high toughness and strength, but also have the porosity needed to withstand the environment it's going into. So whilst today it can't be used to repair throats, the idea is that this hydrogel can act as a really strong mechanism that can be used to deploy and repair not just in throats, but perhaps other areas with the same type of tissue as required, like say, the lungs. It could also be used as a general creation tool for creating model tissues, sample tissues that research can be done on. For example, you could use it to create test lungs in order to test a variety of lung-related issues like COVID, for example, test the drugs treatment on them on these fake lungs with a high strength. And this is one of the real interesting areas of biomaterials. Biomaterials is about this combination of material science, chemical, biological processes, and also, at the end of it, extreme mechanics. Because inside the body, all of these things are happening together continuously. And it's easy to write off something as just being medicine, but that's not really the case when it comes down to the functioning of organs. And if you want to repair or interact with these, you have to deal with the same challenges. So, an innovative new hydrogel, high porously, high strength, able to withstand strange environments like, like the fastly vibrating larynx of someone singing a high note. This is some great research published in the journal Advanced Science from McGill University. 
This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. Pairing different sections of your body, making stronger implants with bioactive materials, and regrowing parts of your throat and larynx through fantastic new hydrogels. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.